Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. If you will, open up your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we will be at today. Mark chapter 10, we're going to be starting in verse 13 in a few moments. Mark chapter 10. Verse 13. All right, since 1942, when I was a young man, since 1942, the second Sunday of April has generally been the date of the final round of the Masters Golf Tournament every year at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. This is the tournament that is said by some to be the most prestigious tournament of the year, the most sought-after championship. Winners each year are invited after they win on the 18th green to put on the coveted green jacket, what might be the status symbol on the PGA Tour. Similarly, for golf fans, just scoring tickets to be on the grounds and watch the tournament in person is a momentous achievement in and of itself. Tickets aren't all that expensive for the tournament of this magnitude. A day pass to go to the Masters is barely over $100. But in order to buy the tickets, you first must apply in June of the prior year and then hope that you are one of the few people selected to be able to then buy your tickets. But if you are truly elite, if you are the founder of a giant tech company like Bill Gates or one of the richest men in the world like Warren Buffett, or you are the commissioner of the NFL like Roger Goodell, you could be one of the 300 or so people in the entire world that could be a member of Augusta National Golf Club. You can't apply for membership. In fact, it's been said that if you are asking to apply, that actually lowers your chances of ever being able to get in to the club. But whenever one of the current members of the club either leaves or dies, the other members select and invite someone to take their place, to pay the initiation fees and the membership fees and the club fees and the guest fees and the dining and lodging fees, and maybe then even you could earn the right to play a round of golf at what is truly one of the most beautiful places in the world. So in order to gain access to the kingdom of Augusta National, there's a lot that you have to do. So in today's text in Mark, Jesus lays out for his followers and for us what they have to do before they can enter his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So if you look with me at Mark chapter 10, we'll start in verse 13 and go to 31. Because this is the word of our holy God speaking to us this morning, would you stand with me as we read this out of reverence for him? So Mark 10, starting in verse 13, this is the word of our Lord. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. You may be seated. All right, this text from Mark is also found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, all three of the synoptic Gospels. So what Jesus is teaching in this section must be central to understanding who he is and what he is doing. So while we try to understand that, there are two questions that we'll consider this morning to guide our time together. Number one, what is required in order to enter the kingdom of God? And number two, how can we enter the kingdom of God? What is required to enter? And then how can we enter the kingdom of God? Uh, Without the spirit helping this morning. This will be nothing more than a blind man sitting up here telling you what to do. So would you pray with me quickly for help? Spirit of Jesus, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears to see your truth this morning. Help us to see what you would have us to see from this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so first, what does God require in order to enter the kingdom of God? Well, this is exactly the question that the young man in this text is asking. So let's start there. In verse 17, this man runs up and kneels before Jesus and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we choose some interesting words in this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who usually inherits things? It's usually a family member, right? So maybe you had a grandmother who loved to host your family at Christmas time, and after she dies, maybe you inherit some of her formal Christmas china. You know, those plates and mugs with the little Christmas trees on them. It seems like every family has at least one set. Those that you have to bring out every year at least once and eat one meal on them, or it's just not quite Christmas time yet. So what did you do in order to inherit such a gift? You didn't do anything. You did nothing for this. You were simply a member of her family. She is happy to give you these wonderful dishes for you to use with your family at Christmas time now. So this man comes to Jesus apparently knowing that he is currently not a member of this family that is going to enter the kingdom of God. So what must he do in order to become a member? How can he be adopted into this family. So before Jesus gets to this part of the man's question, first he wants to clarify that no one is good except God alone. Now Jesus is not saying here that he himself is not good. We know that Jesus is good because he is God. But as for the man that's approaching him, you can just file that away. We'll come back to that little nugget a little bit later. So Jesus assumes that this man is familiar with the law. He's familiar with the Ten Commandments. And he names off specifically commandments number five through ten, the ones that deal with our relationship with other humans, the ones that are easy to see when people are obeying them or not. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So what Jesus is saying here to this man is the same thing that Moses said to Israel when they initially received the law. So in Deuteronomy 28, it says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of the commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and will overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. This has always been the plan for the people of God. When you come, listen to the words of the law, you listen and you obey, and blessings will come upon you. Blessings like being able to enter into the kingdom of God. And the man from our text responds with, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. So when he says that, you should hear echoes of what Paul would later write in Ephesians about himself. 
prior to his encounter with Jesus. Paul says about himself, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So what both of these men here mean is likely that they have not, not that they have never sinned, but rather that when they did, they offered the appropriate sacrifices in the temple as atonement. They underwent the ceremonial washings to remove the guilt. They made restitutions. They paid back any wrong that they had done. They are both checking off all of the religious law boxes that anyone looking at them outwardly can see. And this man looks at Jesus and says, check, check, check. I've got it. I have done that. And Jesus looks at him with love. So pause right there. Jesus looks at this man with love. So this is significant. This, what Jesus is about to say to this man is said out of love for him. Jesus looks at this man who has checked all of his boxes. This man who is trying to live out the law of God towards his neighbors. This man who has run to Jesus and fallen down at the good teacher's feet in order to seek his answers. And to this man... Jesus in love says, verse 21, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So this is similar to the call that Jesus made to Peter and Andrew and James and John when they dropped their fishing nets and followed after Jesus. But instead of dropping his nets, this man drops his chin and he leaves disheartened and sorrowful, unable to check off this last box. So here's what the last box was that Jesus was inviting him to check off. And Jesus is inviting him to check this box off. Jesus looks at him with love and wants him to do this. Jesus isn't setting up an impossible scenario for this man where Jesus intends to stick it to this guy who thinks that people can be good. It's a difficult scenario for sure, but we've already been invited by Jesus to do difficult things, including to pick up your cross, your instrument of death, and follow after him. So here's the last box. It's the greatest commandment. Again, in Deuteronomy, the law says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. So what is required in order to enter the kingdom of God? Absolutely everything. Total and perfect obedience to the laws dealing with your interactions with other people, yes, but also total and complete devotion and reliance on a God that is not you. So this is why Jesus says it will be difficult for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. If you have wealth and resources, 
if you have a position of power and of prominence, if you have good health and what looks like a long life in front of you, which are all things that the man in this text had, then you don't need anyone else to make things happen for you here in this world. If there is a problem, you fix it. You have all that you need in order to make things happen and to make them happen in the way that you want them to. So Jesus has just asked this man to give up all of that and follow him, to trust that he will be provided for by someone else's resources, not his own, to trust that he will have status in this kingdom, but it will look a lot more like putting others first and serving them. And this man can't let that self-made control go. His love for Jesus and his teachings never grows larger than his love for his current life. So one commentator wrote on this passage that the primary problem of this man is not that he is wealthy, but that he does not understand who Jesus is. Because people who understand who Jesus is do what he says. This man's problem is not that he is wealthy, but that he does not understand who Jesus is. It's a very similar event to this happened in John chapter 6, after Jesus had given another hard teaching to the people that were following him. And it says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter gets who Jesus is, and while many others are leaving, Peter knows that there is nowhere else that he can go to find life. So then question two, how can we enter the kingdom of God. The man in our text that seemingly has everything leaves unwilling to enter the kingdom. So what hope do we have this morning? So let's move back to the very beginning of this section, verse 13. Verse 13 says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So what would the disciples, those who are following Jesus, listening to his teaching, why would they rebuke or try to prevent these people from bringing children to Jesus? Maybe, maybe they thought that Jesus' touch was to be reserved for sick people, those who were disabled or had a disease. This was a healing touch. This was not just to be doled out to anyone, especially to children. Maybe they wanted Jesus to be able to focus on teaching the crowd, which was teaching them. Don't interrupt Jesus while I am learning from Jesus over here. Maybe they didn't want Jesus to get worn out by all of these children that were being brought to him. So after all of this, all of these reasons are possible. They are logical for the crowd. And so they rebuke these people who are bringing children to Jesus. But whatever the reasons were, they have totally forgotten the message that Jesus had given them one chapter earlier. In chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus says, Whoever 
receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus has just told them the importance of receiving children as a representation of those that are nobodies into the kingdom. And Jesus is angry that they have forgotten this. And Jesus calls them out on it quickly. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Notice that Jesus says, let the children come to me. And Luke, in his telling of this scene, adds that there are infants among this group as well. So if you know anything about infants, you know that when Jesus says, let them come to me, infants aren't going to come to Jesus. They are brought to Jesus, right? An infant doesn't go anywhere of their own will. They go where their parents take them. Parents put them in a crib. They take them out. They put them on the ground to play. They pick them up. They put them in a special chair to eat. They feed them. They take them out, clean them up, put them on a changing table, change their dirty diapers, pick them up again, put them in a walker or a bouncy seat. Infants don't have the ability to come and to go anywhere. They are brought. And this is one of the reasons why in our tradition we bring our children to be baptized, to be covered in the sign of this community. This is also why in our church we have a children's message every week. Hunter has been very insistent on doing that because the gospel is for them as well. So this is why in our church we do this. This is why that in a couple of weeks when we start um, children's church, the spiritual well-being of our children should be taken very seriously. So if you are teaching a first grade children's Sunday school class, you are not babysitting for a time so that the adults can do the real learning and the real coming to Jesus. You are bringing them to Jesus as well. And what a privilege that is. For to such belongs the kingdom of God, to those who are like these children, children who are vulnerable, completely dependent on others for their care, in the margins of society, not looked to or listened to, not of prominence, not of importance. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are completely dependent on God, especially those who are vulnerable or in the margins of society. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child receives things shall not enter it. This is where the man that we looked at earlier stumbles and leaves the box unchecked. He refuses to humble himself and simply receive the inheritance that he was seeking. This man wanted a box to check. He wanted a list of things that he could do to receive it. He wanted to prove by his pedigree and his position, by his life and his choices, that he deserved 
to receive this. But all that one must do, the only thing that you can do to enter the kingdom of God is to come to Jesus in need. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? What was true then is true still today. Jesus still invites all people to come to him, to receive your entrance into this kingdom that will never perish. That all you need is to know that you need Jesus. And you are unable to check all of the boxes on your own. So finally, we'll close with verse 16. And Jesus took them, the children, in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And is this not the same way that God treats all people who come to him? In Revelation 1, John writes, When I saw him... That's the resurrected and ascended into heaven, Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. Fear not when you come to Jesus. Fear not that you are not good enough. Fear not that you've made a mess of things again. Fear not whether you are coming to him for the first time or for the thousandth time. Fear not. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, sums up this idea this way. The only thing required to enjoy such love is to come to him, to ask him to take us in. He does not say whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to Jesus, Trinity, he will never cast out. When you come to Jesus, He will never cast you out. You can consider that an invitation. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful for your holy word that can turn our world upside down. We are grateful for an offer to enter into your kingdom. Would you grant us this morning humble hearts to hear and to see the offer that has been made before us, God. Would you help us to walk readily and boldly into this kingdom over and over again? God, help us to be quick to turn around back into the kingdom if we are leaving. God, would you help us to invite this community into this family, into this kingdom that will never end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.